take this as the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Do you want anything from the shop? Cut it out. Chalk ice! It doesn't say anything about a chalk ice, does it? No. No, it doesn't. Sure it doesn't. So fuck off! My boy says he can eat 50 eggs, he can eat 50 eggs. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! You're certifiable, Quint, you know that? Hello, Dimitri. Listen, I, I can't hear too well. Do you suppose you could turn the music down just a little? Oh, that's much better. Hello and welcome to the final Spool podcast of the year, where your esteemed Spoolists, Nigel and Porrick. Hello, Porrick. Hello. Nigel. Uh, where we'll be going through all of our favourites from the last 12 months. Uh, we both have a top 10, which we haven't shared with each other. And so we're going to kind of count them down and battle off. So it'll be a bit of a revelation, but also hopefully between us we'll highlight um, some of the year's best stuff. And it's not just a mishmash of um, of the same things. And then at the very end, we'll find a few minutes to review that film that came out last week, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Port, do you want to get us going with what your number 10 is? Okay, so my number 10 is Wild Tales. Uh, it came out quite early uh, at the start of the year. It was directed by Damien... Um, Sisyphran and it's kind of six short vignettes did you get to see it? So this is going to be the fun thing of our thing like did you actually get to see that? Um, Wild Tales has been on my watch list for a while and unfortunately I didn't get to tune into it yet Um, It's fantastic it's incredibly Can't wait to see it Very violent Um, there's a scene at the start where it's a revenge thing between two motorist drivers and being an M50 regular I can relate to it very well Uh, it kind of progresses six very different stories um, brilliantly shot very funny just madcap and it was nice it was like a short story collection all in Spanish uh, yeah, yeah. So, and oh. yeah, because I think it was Pedro Almodovar, one of the. He producer. was like a presenter, you know, they yeah. do that thing, which is like presented by Quentin Tarantino or mm. Eli Roth. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so that's my number 10. Well worth a watch over the Christmas. Yeah, it's a hard. I think it's out on Blue right now, and it's in the. It's in the. Some of those award conversations, but it's kind of. Because it's out for so long, it's been a little bit forgotten about. Interestingly, my number 10 is also foreign language film. Um, so it's Girlhood, which I think is one. I didn't see. Yeah, you didn't see. So this, when this came out, the big joke behind all this was like, oh, Richard Linklater got his sequel out very, very quickly to Boyhood there. Um, but this is actually a French film directed by Céline Sciamma. And um, it's a coming rage story of a young French girl uh, who lives kind of in the suburbs, really rough, horrible kind of area. She's getting to the end of her school life and she has some difficult kind of decisions to make of, you know, those are kind of formative years and you have to work out, right, do you kind of, do you go with the gang? Do you fall, do you go to school every day? Do you continue, like, on the hope you might get some sort of college scholarship if you bust your ass? Or do you end up hanging out with the cool girls, enjoying yourself for, you know, how much she kind of struggles then with her family? Like, you know, how much time does she want to spend with them? And it's just a brilliant, like, this, of course, came out... Um, it's French, is it? It's French, yeah. And, you know, did you see La Haine years yes. ago? And um, during the year we watched... Um, Claire Dennis's 35 Shots of Rum. It was one of our Watch with Spool um, lookbacks. And I think films like that show the actual Paris that the reality is. Like, And of course, we know uh, last month we saw another real world example of what the reality of the cosmopolitan nature of Paris is and how all the unrest where so many people actually just don't get on. Let's put it that way. And then um, 
this girlhood here shows that because this is a, like a black community kind of in France and they're on, you know, you'll see them on subway walking around and it, it's a multicultural thing and I don't know, um, I, it just really, really stuck with me and it's the kind of thing that you want young girls to watch maybe in transition year, fifth year where they're faced with all that thing of pressure like, you know, simple things like should you start smoking or should you, you know, if an older guy asks you out, like don't just, just because he's older, you don't have to go out with him and do whatever he tells you and stuff. So um, really, really brilliant. Um and it has uh, one of the best musical numbers of the year as well, uh, where they have Rihanna's Shine Bright Like a Diamond and they kind of lip sync to the whole thing. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so my number nine is, again, from the very kind of start of the year, came out in 2014 in America, uh, Birdman. And uh, before I say anything about it, we'll just take a clip from it. Just shut up! Shut up and listen to me for once! As soon as we announced he was taking over the advance double, and that took less than a day. We can't afford to lose a preview, we can't afford to lose any more money, we can't afford to lose Mike. This has been about, this is about being respected and validated, remember? That's what you told me. That's how you got me into this shit. Now you're the director, get him under control, okay? Fuck. This isn't the 90s anymore. Zipper's down. So we heard uh, Zach Galifianakis there as the producer, uh, Brayton, Michael Keaton. And uh, it was kind of Michael Keaton that made the film for me. Uh, he's back at his kind of Beetlejuice best. Um, he's kind of a failed actor. He played a character, Birdman, where there was like a superhero movies. And it's clearly referencing when he played Batman, I think. And now he's back trying to be a theatre actor and get some credit. And it's a whole, there's lots of trickery in it where it makes it feel like it's just one shot and kind of going behind the scenes following the whole process uh, very funny very dark as well because like Michael Keaton is having all these uh, visions and kind of mental breakdowns as the film progresses and it ends on quite a bleak note depending on what way you look at it or a jubilant note yeah so it's directed by Alejandro uh, Gonzalez Inaretu who's coming out with The Revenant yeah um, and where Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't have sex with a bear that's the, that's the story there last week. He doesn't have sex with the bear. It's fine. Oh, right. I missed that. There you are. Uh, and the soundtrack for this is brilliant. It had a bit of controversy because it wasn't nominated for an Oscar because it's just drums. It's um, Antonio Sanchez who just drums for the whole thing. That's kind of the, uh, which is parody in a, in a It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode for the uh, Philly fans. Yeah, so that was my number nine. It's, it's very, very weird like to consider. I had this with Birdman and Whiplash. Um they almost feel like you, two years yeah. ago. And everything, like, it came out, I saw it on possibly the day it came out, or like the 1st of January. Yeah. Um, was that the first day? It, it came out the 2nd of January, I think it opened. Or in first, so let's yeah. Say, yeah, maybe yeah. the 2nd, I can't remember. But like in my head, because it's in that narrative of last year's Oscar and Oscar race, was. And it beat Boyhood and all that kind of thing. And I really wanted Boyhood to win and I got really angry that Birdman did. And yet I loved the film. When I look back and what I what I ranked it, um, I really, really enjoyed it. And yet... I didn't want... It's not in the mix here for this because I kind of had that thing where I turned on it. But, I mean, as an experience of seeing it, that thing of um, of the one shot with and then soundtrack with the drums, um, it just drives and propels the whole thing along. It feels like it's maybe about 25 minutes long when actually it's, you know, it's quite, quite a lengthy kind of film. Yeah, I think it's it? touching two hours. Yeah. And it's kind of that classic thing. We'll have it again next year because Room has already had some press screenings and we're not going to get to see it till January, but will it be in the end of year conversation next year? Exactly. It's yeah. always the thing when you do end of year lists. Yeah. And we'll, as I said, we'll talk more about Star Wars, but like even when a lot of the magazines um, 
like went Entertainment Weekly and Empire came to, went to print with their tops, they said, oh, by the way, Asterix, this doesn't include Star Wars because we haven't seen it yet, so we have no idea. So who knows whether it'll be in there. But um, yeah, the one thing I enjoyed about Birdman, I was thinking more about it, is the critic and the um, how all that kind of played out as a stereotypical mean person. Yeah, and but she doesn't think about great. Ratatouille is where I'm, where I'm going. She's yeah. a great outburst at Michael Keaton where she like drives all these... Hollywood actors kind of come to Broadway just yeah. thinking they can waltz in and it's just no big thing. Yeah, but it was fun. Who was uh, during the year, a couple of months ago, um, wrote the thing in The New Yorker, the thing about film critics? Um, you sent it to Oh, me. Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg, yeah. So it just got me thinking about that whole thing of that weird relationship between the artists who actually make these films and then the people at the end of the line, you know, um, the exaggerated versions of us who then just get to pick them apart and that's their kind of job. So yeah. um, it's sort of fun. Um, my nine, number nine, is one that, again, you haven't seen. And it's probably the wackiest one in my top ten. It's the Meryl Streep, Jonathan Demi film, Ricky and the Flash. Um, what I always think about in, with the ten is that it may not be the ten best really like it's a 10 that I enjoyed that stick with me and when I come back to them in a couple of years I'll actually think really fondly of it so I said this one morning uh, there at the end of the summer and it just really really clicked with me um, in a brilliant way Meryl Streep plays Ricky who's the um, rock star who leaves her family behind in Indianapolis to go and like she can't handle family life like she's not cut out for it so she goes to California and sets up a rock group and then Kevin Klein plays the husband and uh, Meryl Streep's real life daughter Mamie Gummer uh, plays her daughter so they so anyway what happens is Mamie uh, the daughter's marriage breaks up and uh, Meryl gets the call so she heads back to kind of comfort her but she's a you know she's got no money she kind of needs to get the dad to pay for the taxi and all this kind of thing so it's a really fun kind of dynamic and then there is a uh, the whole thing culminates then in another sibling's wedding at the end and it has this big jubilant thing where everyone kind of gets along and I don't know I'm a sucker for Jonathan Demi um, he did Rachel getting married a couple of years ago and then did a couple of music documentaries uh, with uh, Neil Young and so there's a brilliant uh, he just knows how to kind of Was he, Neil Young a, like a He trained yeah. he showed Meryl Streep how to play the guitar okay. and how to shred Um so it's a little bit daft, I'm aware of that, uh, but it's a real feel-good kind of one that you'd kind of... Will she get nominated for it for this year for the Oscar? I don't or is it know, I don't gone? know. I think it's in her contract uh, with America, that America gives her as many accolades as possible. So um, so that's it. One to watch, you know, the mothers of uh, the nation over the Christmas. Brilliant. I think. Uh, number eight for me is Ex Machinatia. Um, it's Ex Machina. Uh, sorry, X Machina, yeah. Machina- uh, Machination. <laughs> well, yeah, it had a weird title because it has EX, then underscore, and then all this kind of... So directed by Alex Garland, who's more famous for writing novels, and um, we'll just take a clip from it here. It's Oscar Isaacs talking to Donald Gleeson, who is talking to Alicia Vikander. Oh, no, it's not Alicia Vikander. She's the main kind of uh, android in it. Mm-hmm. But here we have another character, so... With her. No? You don't like dancing? She does. Come on, buddy. After a long day of Turing test, you gotta unwind. What were you doing with Ava? What? You tore up her picture. I'm gonna tear up the fucking dance floor, dude. Check it out. There you go. Yeah, so, um. What a tune. 
Yeah, great. And a really odd scene within the film because it's quite an odd film. Like before we went to see it, we got to see it at a special screen in the IFI where Donald Gleeson and Alex Garland are there and they admitted it as much themselves that the whole thing you're asking is, is Donald Gleeson going to be a robot? And they even play up on that in the film. Um, it's analyzed. So this is quite an odd film. Examines brilliantly. It's quite a great thriller. The only flaw I had with it was a final scene where it was like it didn't need to go there. Could and have cut it, off a little Yeah, it was just yeah. referring back to a previous um, plot point. Um, fantastic performances. Oscar Isaacs really has come into his own in this year. Like we kind of got the. I first became aware of him in um, Inside Llewellyn Davis, and with this and other films this year, I just thought he was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's later in my list, but should we chat about it now? Um, why not? Uh, yeah, it's the one. Like when I get to the end of the year again, you think about what what would you just sit down right now to watch you've got a couple of hours and i would love to just have this on now because i'm a sucker for anything with ai i'm a, i love all the performances in it it kind of it's it's technologically sound as well like it feels like they've done enough like there's enough research gone into that script um and it's knowing enough like it you know that joke and the one thing you say, oh, you need to relax after a hard day of doing touring tests and it'll come out about a month after the Alan Turing uh thingy um which have the, the imitation game yeah so um yeah it just clicked brilliantly with me so yeah a fantastically done film um, and alicia vikander uh for playing the android in it, it got a golden globe nomination which is for best supporting actress or something i think so that's kind of interesting and kind of good for her fantastic. she was in about three films there in within about two months early on that and testament of youth which was another one that no one saw uh came out within about a week of each other and then I can't remember. She had a few other ones and then she's in that's next year as well. Okay. What's she may well be in line for the School Woman of the Year Awards in February, you know. We'll see. Your number eight? Uh, was that no, your number eight? Yeah, that was. was my number okay. eight. So my number eight is Amy as well. Ah, very good. Is Amy in your list? No. No, okay. So uh, Amy topped earlier in the um, in the week. Last week we did our top documentaries and ported top Irish films. So Amy was my... Uh, best documentary of the year um uh do i have a clip from it producer Lisa? no i don't have a producer uh this basically if people are listening at home go and put on back to black and just soundtrack your thing with it so i listened to back to black the album just after this and it's an, it's, i never would have gone back and really listened to it and then the whole thing just um makes so much more sense uh in a way and it's a heartbreaking kind of thing so um the documentary came out in July, I think, and I think it's gone on to be one of the highest grossing documentaries in the UK and Ireland. Like, d- phenomenal yeah. amount of money. It's done in a very novel way in that it's just, it's no talking heads, it's voiceovers and you see the people and you're introduced to them, but then it's talking heads over footage and everything. Yeah, and, and I, like, I think what often happens with these things is when you get an interview subject in and they're in a slightly artificial environment uh, with you know, a lighting kit all around them. The There's a producer and a presenter there in front of them and, you know, they're on camera and they might be able to see a monitor themselves even speaking. And so you're automatically, you're, you're performing in a way. Like, so what you say might not be done. And so what what um, Kapadi did, I think, was he just got big. Because the sound quality of the interviews isn't great. Um, like, it's kind of just dictaphones in a lot of the times. And pubs, one would imagine. Yeah. And so he just kind of, sits you know sits down with them and they have a chat and it feels like they're just going for like going through things and you're actually getting the actual emotions like there's no nothing contrived about it so you're getting real life interviews and some of the stuff from one of her some of her old friends and her original manager um it's heartbreaking and you come out of it with this horrible 
sense of guilt because obviously Amy died and we cover all that and you're like, God, what was I thinking? Or was I like sharing Facebook posts or yeah, commenting they have that jokes she's a mess? And stuff. Like, she was a mess. Yeah. Like, and the, the, public. the footage from like Graham Norton and stuff. And you've kind of seen the heartbreak she was going through. And then it cuts to these, here's what the media and everything was doing. And you're like, yeah. oh God, you feel terrible. Yeah. It portrays the father out to be an absolute bastard. Yeah, Mitch. Um, and that was kind of interesting because like when she was, the whole thing was playing out in real life and in the media. He was seen as the saviour of her, you know, he was taking her back under her wing, he was looking after her. But then you wonder if when the director was going through all the footage and everything, he was like uh, wait a minute. Because yeah. he leaves the mother alone, you know, I think it's because the she father was holding much. him. There wasn't no. much, even from contributions yeah. from her and stuff. But but yeah, there, like there's a bit with the dad where they go on holidays and the dad has invited a camera crew along and he's like, oh, just go and talk to them. And like she's saying, oh, I just want to record. And then the dad and some of the management are like, oh, we've actually signed you up to this festival in like Croatia. Um, you'll do that, wouldn't you? That'd be a handy thing. And then you see the YouTube footage of her unable to handle it, just like being drunk and stuff. So like brilliant. I don't know. Is Amy on Netflix yet? No. Don't think so. Certainly one, it's definitely on Blu-ray and yeah. DVD, so uh, one to seek out if you haven't. Uh, okay, The Martian. Oh, number seven. Number Martian. seven for me. Yeah, it's love not, this film. It's not in my ten, and yet I almost... It's, it, yeah, you can't fit them all in. That's no, the problem, true, yeah. Um, I just thought it was so much fun. Uh, Matt Damon um, is an astronaut who gets left behind at Mars, and when the rest of his mission go back, they realise, oh, he's he's not dead, he's actually alive. So it's like three stories, I was saying in my review from earlier in the year, you've got Matt Damon on Mars, you've got the rest of his crew on a spaceship, and then you have everybody back at NASA and base camp, um, Jeff Daniels and Christopher Ejiofor, or what's his first name? Uh, yeah. I think, yeah. So they're kind of the base camp, and then we have Jessica Chastain and Kate Mara, People like that on the spaceship. And like most of it is with Matt Damon on Mars. And, and he's really engaged in it. Kristen at holding. Wig, I just remember. Oh, yeah. Kristen Wiig as well is in it. And not being comedic in any way. Um, Sean Bean is great in it. Real ensemble cast. Kind of doesn't strike you like the film Ridley Scott would do. It's very blockbustery. And, you know, it's not like Alien or anything. It's more kind of a... I don't know. It really reminded me of something. It was, oh, like a, what do you call it? Like Apollo 13, you know, Ron Howard kind of film. Really reminded me of that. Like, yeah. I'm surprised Tom Hanks wasn't in it. But yeah, loved it. Great. Matt Damon is so good. Like, to, when you think about that performance, like, he's there probably in some weird set surrounded by GoPros, a couple of directors and everything. He's pretty, he has no one to bounce against. Like, he's acting alone for a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and yet you kind of buy into him. Mm. And, and I love the central story where it was just like man's survival. It's like, that's all he has to do. He's like, no, I'm not giving up. I'm going to try and live and get out of this. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and didn't give a damn. We never meet his parents. We don't know to see if a wife a, a or kids girl or yeah, or a mm. boyfriend or girlfriend or anything. Like we don't know. Yeah. And it doesn't matter either. No, uh, did you like the ending? Really liked the ending. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great. There's a lovely shot just before the very ending that refers back to something previously. And I was like, oh, that's, Lovely. Mm. We messed up. We messed up. Uh, Chiwetel as your fourth name in there. I just ah, had to sorry. do a quick check. I was like, oh, I can't remember. So sorry, Chiwetel. I know you're a regular listen listener to everything. Um, yeah, it's the Martian. Do you think? Like again, I have this year. I haven't paid as much attention to like Oscar and Golden Globey things. I think it's in there in the Golden Globe best uh, comedy or music or something I'm trying to, when I was compiling the list I was like yeah, I think Matt Damon should be up for best actor yeah no. it'll be interesting like he'd be well well deserved for those kind of reasons we discussed yeah. there uh, mine is uh, Force Majeure number seven 
Did you get to see it? Yeah, I saw it. You yeah, did get yeah. to see it. Okay, couldn't remember. Colin, uh, former producer Colin, uh, texted me during the week saying, just watch Force Majeure. I'm hungover. Made no sense. How weird. But it was good. <laughs> so, um, Brilliant classic, Colin. Yeah. And so I think it's a very, um, a very unusual film. Let's put it that way. Kind of uh, directed by Ruben Oostland and um, tells a story in very simple terms of a family who go on a skiing holiday. And, very, you know, we then join them and we see them and they're having their dinner. And then there's a small avalanche and the dad gets up and runs away. He likes it. And that is the central, you know, that's the crux of the story. And that happens in the first maybe 10, 15 minutes, I think. Yeah. And everything then that follows on from that, you know, because they don't, the avalanche, it's a minor little, what do they call it? And like something, there's a funny line in it. It's just a minor shake or something, I can't yeah. remember. Um, but everything then follows on from that. Like the mother, can she trust him again? Can, do the kids, like the, the father is meant to be the hero. And I think when I was a seven year old, like, you know, you, you're meant to think your father is the person who'll save everything. So when that image is sort of broken, you're kind of in trouble, you know? Yeah, so, I love that moment when the kids are just like, like, oh, they don't want to be around him or anything. Yeah. It's just like hilarious. And then he does a wonderful part of his uh, welcome me back in is he just does a most hilarious uh, crying breakdown. And you're like, do you actually believe that? Do you feel really sorry? Yeah, I don't believe. Like he yeah. manages to turn this whole thing around into being like all about him and just being like, oh, I'm sorry. I did do wrong. I realised because he won't admit to it for ages that he had done anything wrong. And there's a lovely dimension to it then when one of his friends turn up with his much younger girlfriend and he tries to be like oh no you were just saving yourself so that you could come back and help the children uh, yeah that's what i that's what i was yeah. doing i was uh, running for help very good film not 100 percent sure about the very end i didn't kind of get what i was saying like i get the bit before i think where the wife tested him again and he came through so she was yeah. like this is okay but then there's a thing towards the end where i just i wasn't 100 percent sure what it's trying to say yeah, it is left. It's very much left open to. I sort of. I didn't. Yeah, I think the very, very end is left very vague and bleak. Fantastic. And is music he the hero? Ah, oh, the music is comically dramatic. And yeah. It wraps up in Act Three as part of his rebuilding as a hero, if you like. Um, there's a scene on the bus, you know, and they're coming down this cliff and then they all have to get off the bus and yeah. he has to save them. And, um, but there's. Yeah, and I love the bit all in front of the bathroom mirror when they all kind of brush their teeth in front of the, the mirror in the hotel, there's loads of stuff that goes on in front of that. I was just like, that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and shot really interestingly as well. Like it's done with almost like really tightly cropped uh, surveillance. Like there's all these weird, really, really long shots that have then been zoomed in and they'll hold for ages and stuff. And it kind of reminded me, you know, when, when they're on this family when you're on a family holiday like that, um, everyone's kind of watching everyone and everyone knows, oh, that family across the hall. So you can't really do anything in private. And in a family situation like that, they're in a family room. For, so for the parents to have any level of intimacy or like privacy, they have to kind of step into the corridor. But then the cleaner and all that are kind of there watching yeah, them and yeah. walking past them, having their big domestic. So, um, yeah, That's I like it. Seven. OK, number six for me. I know you've seen it, but I doubt it's in your list. Um, Macbeth. It's not in my list. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd say most people know the story of Macbeth. Uh, it showed up. It showed up. We, we did our friends with spool list and showed up in a few. I know. Um, uh, yeah, a few people had it, which I was kind of surprised mm. by because I was just that very cold. I loved it. Um, it's directed by uh, Justin Kurzel, uh, who directed Snowtown from a couple of years ago, which is a horrifically graphic film, very violent. And you can kind of see tones of it again in Macbeth. So we have Michael Fassbender and... Marion Cotillard, who play Lady Macbeth and Macbeth, and we just have a clip of them here. Which of you have done this? What, my good lord? 
Thou canst not say that I did it! His Highness is not well. Sit, worthy friends. Pray you keep seat. The fit is momentary. Upon a thought, he will again be well. If much you note him, you shall offend him and extend his passion. Feed and regard him not. There we go. Yeah. Marion Cartier, Lady Macbeth. I love that it was a very toned back performance of Macbeth. Now, the countryside in Scotland looks amazing, but the costumes were all quite simply the very simple crown. I noticed that in clips and certain things. The costume design is fantastic. And it's not really... Some of the... Like, that hall is quite small, and we have big shots of when he's inside, inside and he's on the throne. But when they're camping and there's, like, wee churches, they're all, like, small tents and where Duncan is, it's very kind of... Small. So it's because they had no money, is what we're saying. Uh, I don't know. I kind of <laughs> like the. No, I agree. And yeah. isn't that probably more like the reality? Like he was this gritty urban, sorry, not ur- gritty rural king, like traveling around the countryside. Like there wasn't mm. going to be all this gold and glamour mm. to the whole thing. Like that was probably a much more realistic portrayal of. Again, it's quite violent at times when it needs to be. And what I loved the most was kind of the battle scenes towards the end with the colors in it, like the very final scene. Um, with all the reds and very bloody sound it was just I yeah thought it was fantastic because I really loved the play from doing it at school and I've never really seen a great production of it and I think this just kind of captures the essence of it yeah I agree with you we watched um, some version of it in school I can't Polanski's. remember yeah, is it Polanski's? Mm. When was that from? Seventies, I think. I yeah, just, uh. so we watched it in school, and I, I remember even then the teacher was kind of like, this, you know, there's kind of problems with this, and he got this wrong, and blah blah blah. Um, and then we went to see a play of it in the Gaiety. I remember, and I remember that being daft. Now maybe if I saw it again now, but I remember with the with Burnham Wood coming in, like they just had twenty guys doing a weird dance, and like you the you the whole audience of secondary school boys and they all just found it daft and they just sort of laughed it off um and that's not a good atmosphere to be in so i, yeah. I don't know now i think this is the kind of film if you saw this in sixth year a couple yeah. of months before doing your leaving i suspect is it 18s it was oh i'd say i'd, I'd say, say it so. has to be so yeah. maybe this technically could, couldn't be shown in schools and teachers around the country might have to just be kind of like yeah like that you know Probably does for Scotland what uh, Star Wars will do for uh, Skellig Michael. For the Skelligs, yeah, I wonder. Um, it, it, but, but I mean, the landscape just looks so phenomenal in the in the Highlands and so wet and dank and everything. Um, that yeah. lovely gratuitous shot of Michael Fassbender coming out of a pool of water with no top on for no reason, but they were like, oh, look, should we have him? Yeah, we have him. Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> Get your top off there. Yeah. Um, so my number six is Love and Mercy. Is that in your 10? No. No, interesting. So this hasn't been... One person, I think, mentioned it, and it's not really in the conversation for awards or anything, but um, this is the story of Brian Wilson as told through the uh, eyes of people in his life as a young man, and then later on in the, I think, mid-80s, just before his kind of re... Uh, re- reassessment and return to relevancy and creativity and everything. So um, When me and you became aware that oh he's not dead yeah exactly so um paul dano plays young brian and john cusack plays old brian and i thought paul dano in particular was fantastic and the film uh written by the same people who did the todd haynes i'm not there uh thing which you know it has that weird timeline he jumps it's really tricky kind of biopic yeah which is which is kind of fitting um we have a little bit of a clip from it i hope i'm finally playing a clip you're welcome
something about it. I have this song playing over and over in my head. I just don't have the words or the melody. Do you have anything? Not the Sesame Street uh, song, as Forrest said during it, but um, that's Brian sitting at the piano, kind of just trying to get work through something. He probably played that kind of chord progression about 50 times. Um, it's not nothing actually amazing, but um, the lead singer of the Beach Boys, who was a bit of a, a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a goon, um, comes up and thinks it's amazing. And I think there's something there. He doesn't really have any musical talent, whereas Brian has all the talent, but just doesn't have the charm or the, he can't convey it in the way that Mike. I love those early bits in the studio where he's kind of putting together the the music that would eventually become uh, Pet Sounds and just yeah. all the bonkers stuff he's doing. It's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like to watch this again. Um, I remember that some of the John Cusack stuff was a little bit, a bit kind of cheesy, but then, you know, Elizabeth Banks is there with her big 80s hair and everything. And Paul Giamatti's playing Paul yeah. Giamatti. Yeah, he got, um, he, he was in a bad buzz this year for playing the evil manager. Um, he did it in another film. Uh, and you just kind of feel bad for... N.W.A. Uh, yes, straight out of Compton. So um, <laughs> you feel bad, but also at least he's cornered that market of annoying, uh, <laughs> mean rock yeah. or rap it gets quite trippy towards the end of certain scenes with the connection between um, Paul Dano and John Cusack where it almost becomes a 2001 A Space Odyssey yeah. where John Cusack's in bed seeing former versions, versions of themselves yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a lovely way of actually showing like there's obviously so much creativity mm. pain stress anguish sadness and everything and to have just, you know, the same kind of thing, if they'd gone for the whole Walk the Line or Ray, we always go back to those two as standard kind of music biopics, but if you'd gone for that straight little look, you wouldn't really have conveyed enough from what the kind of story was. So anyway, um, it really stuck with me, and I love it. Very good. Uh, number five for me, one that I only saw quite recently, a week or two ago, uh, is called The Tribe. Uh, there won't be a clip from this because it's uh, a two-hour and six-minute film with no dialogue and no subtitles uh, concerning a deaf child in his teens who goes to an all-deaf uh, high school. Uh, set in Ukraine and the entire film is just sign language. And so you don't you don't know what they're saying or anything. And there's another kind of trick or quirk is that there's only 34 shots in the film. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. I watched it there a little while ago to catch up. Ah, recommended it very good. Me. And... Um, Watch, you know, I had a bit of an issue. I was like, "What do I need? Is I need subtitles for this? What's yeah, going on yeah. here?" Um, I was like, "No, no, there's no subtitles." Um, it's incredibly grim. So it's uh, two films I kind of always go back to from seeing. I saw Scum when I was very young, uh, far too young. I accidentally saw it, and it did kind of have an effect on me. It was there's certain films you're like, "Oh, I probably shouldn't be watching this." So it kind of reminded me of that because the the young fellow who starts in the boarding school kind of gets in with the wrong crowd and they kind well, of... Or gets pulled into the wrong Yeah, crowd. you know, kind of, yeah, it's just that thing where you fall into it and they are and up to terrible things, much, robbery, yeah. prostitution. There's no administration or, like, leadership or anything. No, there. yeah. And then uh, it also reminded me of If, because it becomes quite violent and, you know, there's all this examination of... Uh, boarding Late school and yeah. boarding school in that environment and everything that goes wrong yeah. very frank scenes regarding well, sex and quite horrific scenes yeah, then there's, like they're they're used to kind of pimp out people lorry drivers um, like kind of deaf and dumb 
uh, people being used as prostitutes and being mm. sold. And there's no and... the camera never shies away from anything. At one point, there's a there's a scene of a a horrible like backstreet kind of abortion that takes place, and the camera doesn't go away from it. And it's very hard to watch sometimes, but it's I don't know, it's a very compelling film. And the ending, I won't obviously spoil the ending, but it just it was so shocking. And you're kind of like, why is nobody? And you're, you're like, there are tricks sometimes. Well, not tricks. There are stuff. We're like, oh, they're deaf and they can't hear what's going on. Yeah. So you're just like, yeah. there's a bit with a that's in case yeah. not to ruin it, but a road accident midway through as well, where you're like, oh yeah, that kind of yeah, I get it. To the rest of us, um, what did you make of it? In that, yeah, no, it. Can you say you enjoyed it? Yeah, you can't it. really. You appreciate and admire a film like this. This is yeah. one of the most harrowing kind of things. It's not in my in my top ten list, but um, it's definitely one I'd kind of admire and mm. one to kind of seek out. <laughs> That's really yeah. So you on, so not many laughs there. No. Um, in fact, there are no laughs in the film. Did you have any? No, I don't think so. No. No. Oh, all right. Um, I guess we'll hop right in. Um, my number five is a film I don't think you've seen either. X and Y it was uh, out in spring, um, which Morgan Matthews directed a UK film. So I think it's definitely one of the most forgotten, underappreciated things of the year because no one else has mentioned it. So I'm going to mention it. Um, it came out a couple of months after the film the we already mentioned. starts here. Yeah, absolutely. Going to try for it. So um, after The Imitation Game and The Theory of Everything, which are both math, uh, films about maths and intelligence. And I love a good montage of just intelligence. So I think I have a clip um, of that. So here's a guy solving a problem. And the card immediately to the right of it could be that a one followed by a one turned to a zero followed by a zero. Or it could be a one followed by a zero turning into zero followed by a one. In either case, we can see that the the number in binary is strictly decreasing. And that means? Which means that the sequence must terminate. Because? Because you can't keep taking away from a positive integer without it turning negative. No. You can't. You definitely can't. Solving problems. Um, so, as a Butterfield, uh, Butterfield plays um, a young boy and he has autism and can't really communicate. His dad died when he was really young and he never really adapted to that. And then his mum is played by one of my favourite actresses, Sally Hawkins, and she can't really connect with them. And then um, he finds some kind, some kind of comfort in his school when one of a teacher recommends him for basically the maths club. And then um, he kind of he ends up going in this international mathematical Olympiad, which is a real thing. It's like a math summer campy thing, and he competes for Great Britain at it. I think they travel to Taiwan, so the whole film kind of debunks to or decamps to there, and then the whole second part of it is it takes place over there. And um, I just really liked it, and it was frustrating that no one else seemed to really talk about. It. It's a bit like you can see from the like that music is is beautiful, yeah. but like it's quite. It's quite that whole, here's how to feel, here's how to lift yourself. So um, mm. the polar opposite to the tribe in terms of a feel-good, sad film. Book. Cool. Uh, number four for me is Song of the Sea. It was what I put as our best Irish film of the year. So producer, com- producer Lisa is uh, digging that there. Guess producer Lisa, her yeah. favourite film of the year. And so. Yeah. So, um, yeah, number four, directed by Tom Moore and the guys at Cartoon Saloon. Um, fantastic film looks beautiful great stories great kind of rooted in Irish kind of mythology and tradition and 
I suppose it's maybe not like I think Irish kids could see it, but like it's worlds apart in my head from Pixar. It's closer to Japanese yeah, animation and the Studio Ghibli stuff. I think they all said that at the time that they were. So I do worry that maybe young kids mightn't even like it. And it's like, oh, it doesn't look like Pixar, so I'm not going to watch it. So I would encourage a lot of parents I'd, to force their children to watch it. Yeah. And I'd say it's kind of the one, the kind of thing that um, if they get the the cine mobile up and running, get it driving around the country, bring in the film um, and apparently it's schools. available now to buy in Tower Records so yeah and Michal said no so he said yeah absolutely in the thing or unless he's lying I don't think so yeah um, So, did but you, it was fun just, the, the interesting yeah. thing with it being that of course that it got simultaneous Irish language and English language translations and that wasn't done as a gimmick mm. in the way you could argue it was done for Spongebob maybe but like this was a legit thing like that they were rooted in the origins of Irish language and mythology from at all stages of mm, that from production origin, and it yeah. just felt right you're like yeah this does make sense and I get a Irish. best uh, animated Oscar nod last year yeah or at the bef- start of this before year before we ever got to see yeah. it so the Blooming thing gets those nominations in February and then it shows didn't up, come out here till July I played think. Galway mm. film of the festival at Galway and then came out a week later here so that kind of bothered me a little bit I was like but I, I admired them for doing that like that you don't really gain momentum from getting it out in Ireland first you know you want to get seeded out over in America and then it'll just do well over here probably anyway so um, yeah it's not in my 10 and um, again can't fit them all you in. can't fit them all but between us we're compiling a lovely list of yeah. things if, if um, it was your number one you did the Irish uh, films of the year you published them last Thursday and it was the combined one of number one which I strongly agree with brilliant um, so my next one is Mad Max is Mad Max in your list no Everyone else has Mad Max in there. Everybody loves Mad Max. I kind of, the more I thought about it afterwards, I was just like, mm, not mad on this. Not yeah. mad on Mad Max. Um, my actual, I actually got my three and four mixed up, so I'll give you three, but I've, I've flipped it around. Thank you for that word in my ear that uh, I've actually done it wrong. But Mad Max is, it's almost tied with this. Um, okay. I'm happy, to, I'd, I'd be happy to make it my number four. Grand. But, um... Anyway, it's not in your list. When we got we got nearly twenty people to email us in, and Mad Max ended up being uh, top um, of there as a consensus kind of one. And, and we had done in- a, a watch with Spool this season where we watched the first no this season or season of Spool where we watched the first two Mad Maxes. Um, didn't do three, but for this, I just kind of loved the grittiness of the original Mad Maxes in this. I was just like, Jesus, this is just a car chase for two hours. That's what made it so exhilarating. And Tom, Tom Hardly there uh, <laughs> isn't, ah, uh, yeah. I Yeah, I think you you really hate Tom Hardy at this It just confirmed my annoyance of him. He's seen yeah. as one of the world's, you know, most popular. Yeah. And, like, he doesn't act. He just grunts and grumbles and moans. And Yeah, I think he's a perfect sidekick to uh, the actual star of the show, which is not Furiosa, but actually just the diesel c- combustion engine. <laughs> That's what this is. Like, um, to me, in terms of as an experience, this was like when you were a kid and you'd be going to, like, the IMAX cinema, or told you'd be going to an IMAX cinema and going into space. This, to me, was just like a in a car chase for two hours and actually really feeling it seeing it in IMAX seeing the colour and how burnt it was and everything and it was fantastic actually what we did I'm going to take the credit it might have been your idea but um, for the way we watched uh, the first two before that and kind of set up because it, it puts you into the world it didn't like it's a bit in the way like Star Trek and Star Wars the new films have become reimaginings not necessarily sequels or prequels or anything this is just like a, a reimagining of the character and everything so um I absolutely loved it. I hope it gets into the best picture picture. I think it's a good for a film of that scale to get one of those nominations and be cool if, um, what's his face, George Miller gets a director nod as cool. well. Um, Do you have a clip from Mad Max? Don't know. Do I, I, think I, I think I have. 
hours absolutely um albino about a boy huh? yeah i actually had made when i first saw it i was like whoa that was mind-blowing but is it all a joke and i went to it again uh five days later and i was like no there's enough there on second viewing i actually almost enjoyed it more i, I was less like just blown away and i could actually pick up on the little subtle nuances of such a simple journey um it's very it's like a greek tragedy you know in many ways I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna actually explain that in any way. Um, okay, what's your number four then? To go back into is that, how we're, we're, we're yeah. doing a flip. This is great. So my four is one. I'm not sure if you've gotten a chance to see it yet. Is Andrew High's film Forty Five Years? No. Uh, so it's on Volta. You can watch it for three ninety nine. Um, and what it is, it's a it's a film basically about people. I guess of our parents' generation, they've been together forty, nearly forty five years. One of them got sick for the 40th birthday so they've decided to make the 45th a bit of a have a bit of a party in the village hall and everything so it's my parents 45th wedding anniversary on Friday gone there there you go well did they reveal that one of them had had a relationship in the Alps and many I hope years not ago? No. so Charlotte Rampling and Tom Courtney are the two couple and they live in Norfolk in this little village and both retired and you know they've a real kind of tired but comfortable they don't look like existence. they've been married 45 years there you go um, the French you mean, I don't know they look a bit young, bit young. Well, sure, did they get married when they were 15 they might have been I, I don't know the maths she's quite old she's in the in the Oscar kind of picture now um, I'm not going to Google to see what age yeah they, okay I get you yeah 45th is is the thing but um, yeah. no offence to my parents they look great for their age absolutely <laughs> um, so Jeff you know they're in the week leading up to it the film takes place over the course of uh, I think six days and the whole there's that classic narrative thing of the countdown how how many days to go until the party and Jeff gets a letter in the post saying that his uh, his former girlfriend's body has been found in the Alps in the like there'd been a glacier and it melted and the body has now shown up and um, did he this, kill her? Um, well we, we it's a mystery like this is the thing you have no idea what the what the twi- I'm not giving the twist away but you go into the film you don't know what anything is or what the narrative twists or anything you can just tell from the trailer like there were great trailers they just showed that something was a bit off with this preparation so that kind of takes over his mind I've got a clip then of them having a chat in a cafe about it because these glaciers, they're melting a lot more than people imagined. The water is just not coming down. It's going to go somewhere. You know, it's saturating into the rock beneath and just building up and up and up. Like, 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 a, like, dam. like a dam. Yeah, as if it's waiting, 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 and then... Oh. No warning. Come down like a tsunami. Wipe out everything in its path. Schools, churches, people in cafes drinking their coffee. Old men in shops tinkering with their cuckoo clocks. And if they hadn't found her, that's when she'd come down. Mm. All the rock and debris. We'd be long dead by then. So there you go. Um, look, it's really, the fact you haven't seen it, I don't want to go into too much, but it's in such a little constrained narrative thing by the way they've structured it around this one week and the build up and at first she's like oh I understand and like they've been together 40 nearly 45 years probably um, 
more obviously um and t- she at first it's kind of okay and then he gets a bit obsessed he goes up into the attic to look at old photos and all this and you can see that Charlotte Rampling is all this undercurrent simmering kind of like like that old British kind of staunch I'm not this isn't going to bother me we're going to have a good night and then um, they get to the party and things sort of happen there's no you know it's just a fantastic showcase of two brilliant kind of actors at the kind of peak of their game so I would highly recommend it you need to watch it fantastic uh, number three for me is a film we both saw uh, Enemy uh, yes another one that doesn't feel like it's no it's again movie. very early and it, I think it actually came out in America in 2013 possibly <laughs> uh, if you look at IMDb um, the name escapes me the director but he had another Dennis Scar- Villeneuve yes his, the best film he did this year <laughs> that was released in Ireland this year I wasn't mad on Sicario um, yeah so it stars Jake Gyllenhaal and it had that weird thing it came out this year as did uh, Jesse Eisenberg's other film called The Double was it mm. and they're similar stories based on the same source material potentially um, it's an absolutely bonkers film I really love films where you're not 100% sure what's going on so Jake Gyllenhaal suddenly sees himself um, in a film and he's like I'm not an actor and then he starts looking and realises there's another person who looks exactly like him and they have this kind of back and forth and then it kind of feels very like a David Lynch film where you're not quite sure what's going on who's real and fake and there's a whole uh, underlying imagery with spiders that becomes very uh, important towards the end. Uh, don't want to give too much about it, but it's a fantastic film. Yeah, really, one really the, enjoyed one it. One of the best endings of the year as well. And, Easily, and it's one of these that, like you mentioned, Lynch. Like, there's enough there to just pick apart if you want. And there's YouTube explainers where people have ripped apart the script and all the clues as to who's who and what the whole yeah. thing means. I think it probably holds up as a thing. Oh, um, I think it does. It gives yeah. you a bit of fun. Yeah, nothing else. It's very good. Very good. And Jake Gyllenhaal is actually brilliant mm. too, as he, as he as he can be. Um, very good my number two then because I'm on to two or do you want to do two no you're on to you already yeah. know what my two is do you uh, well we did a thing before we came in where we were like let's write down our number one and by what you've said I can guess what your top two are but I don't know the order so uh, okay my number two is the one you've already featured the Alex Garland film Ex Machina um, so I only gave two new films five this year and we saw that one in January and then one in December when Carol came out which, uh, which unsurprisingly is the number one. Uh, but anyway, um, we've already talked about it. Uh, I don't think, we won't play the second clip, we'll kind of skip it. But um, it just kind of showed, I, it, just, it just clicked with me so much. And I remember thinking at the time, I love this. And I know you can get a bit twisted because we were there um, with oh, yeah, Alex it, Garland it, yeah. and Donald Gleeson. And then you're like, are we, is this only really clicking because there's a bit of adrenaline here? But um, it just got me thinking so much about, about technology and this whole, like because I think about that enough anyway like an artificial you know like I often use you know Google now and I'm there like I want Google and like my phone to track to me your and life. suggest things to yeah. me and like you know read through my email and come up with suggestions of where I should be at different times what was the and film last year or the year before from Joaquin Phoenix is uh, Her Her was, was that your number one no uh, I think it was my number one yeah so Look, I'm I'm a predictable kind of guy in this, but like I say, I think it holds up and brilliant performances at the centre of it. This story could have been told 50 years ago with just slightly different variations in the technology and yeah. with the same sort of script, but just with similar level of acting and it would have been a great story as well, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. And um, did we watch 2001 A Space Odyssey around a couple of months before that as well? And so It had a re-release, so I went to see it. In yeah, the, it was around a year ago, wasn't mm. it? And so I remember that also tying into a lot of this technology stuff. So, 
Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. And also the NSA. Like that's it. that was also happening. And I saw Citizen Four, the brilliant documentary around that time too. Yeah. So that whole thing of like intelligence and the company was called Blue Book in in Ex Machina, and it's basically just Google, and they know everything, and they're gonna, they're going to just pounce back on you at some point. So my number two is um, the second Oscar Isaac's film uh, from the year, a most violent year. <laughs> Again, I didn't count it because it was in the Oscar world. Yeah, It, Whiplash and Birdman, Birdman. for some reason, they belong in their own little club. I didn't see it. I only saw it in the middle of the year. I kind of missed it when it came out originally. And uh, it just kind of blew me away. I was watching it in the house. And uh, it's a fantastic, really kind of simple story. Oscar Isaacs is um, an oil salesman or he wants to get into that business and he's trying to get into it legitimately without becoming a gangster or a crook. And his wife, played by Jessica Chastain, seems to have a bit of a shady background and she's like look we can do this and we can get it sorted and he's like no so it's basically seeing will he succumb to the more shady murky elements of it and here we have a clip basically the godfather pretty much and it's set in the 80s so it has that classic golden age of american cinema in the 70s 60 70s 80s i think it has it perfectly done uh, so we just have a clip from it here this is not a joke You will only keep this job if you close, and that's not funny to you. I'm only interested in this company growing, and when it isn't, it's not very funny to me at all. These people work very hard for their money, and these other guys are ripping them off, treating them poorly because they don't know. So when you look them in the eye, you have to believe that we are better. And we are. There you go. I have a hunch that this and X Machina were out on the exact same day. Just both starring oh, Oscar Isaac be. and now both in at the number two slots in Big our... Big year for Oscar. Absolutely. These two. And uh, po- can you remember his name in Star Wars? Poe Dameron? Poe Dameron, yeah. I had it written down for later. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk about Star Wars at the end, but yeah, he didn't have as much um, to do in it as he could have. Good bit of trivia for you. Uh, you'll like this. The look of the film is fantastic. So Bradford Young did the cinematographer yeah. and he did the cinematographer Ain't Them Body Saints. I knew that, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a fantastic uh, guy. He did... Um, I think he might have done Selma as well. I'm not sure. Maybe oh, he I'm did. Wrong. Yeah, no, he Selma's did. Well. Yeah, yeah. So very, very. So it's written by Jesse Chander. He directed the film. Sorry, and he also did um, Margin Call and that Robert Redford one you love. I didn't get to see. All is lost. All is lost. Yeah. Yeah. So great film. Which is one hell of a trilogy. Mm. What a director. So you've already alluded to your number one, and I had written down. X. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, okay. I got it wrong. So do you want it's to tell? Well, X- your number one was Carl. I knew it was either going to be Carl or yeah. Yeah, or so. Machina. Yeah, like I say, they're pretty much fifty-fifty in terms. I, if you told me one had to be the, they're 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 the two five-star films for me in the year. We talked tons last month, um, in the last uh, podcast at the end of November about Carol, and everything about it. I've thought more about it. I've listened more about, it, watched videos with Kate Blanchett, um, and Todd Haynes talking um, about the whole thing, and it's just still clicking with me. I think it's going to sweep the Oscars. I actually think it's going to, you know, in the most in the best way that an independent film kind of can. Like it's going to get. Does he have uh, any Oscar gongs in his uh, I think he's nominated for Far From Heaven. And I think it's going to be I a very tough it. actress category this year at the Oscars. You'll have Kia Planchette probably. Yeah. Or Rooney Mara is pushed for supporting. Like, which is that old joke of yeah. they're in the film 50-50, but well, I'll take one for the team. You're going to have Sears, Sears, Sears Ronan from Brooklyn, yeah. who shouldn't win. You're going to have your one from Room. Brie Larson, yeah. yeah. So t- and I was saying Charlotte Rampling is yeah. also in the mix. So it's going to be, it's going to be really fun. Um, and that lady from Grandpa... 
Uh, yeah, Lily Tomlin. Lily Grandpa Tomlin. was nearly in my top ten. Uh, do, you want to, do you want to? Did you come up with the, I saw like, a supporters list? Well, we haven't gone through all yours yet. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Carol, I don't. I almost feel like I'm, you know, burning down the bridges. Um, no, it's fantastic. Oh, it's really, like really it. good film. Yeah. Really, it's for me. It's how Brooklyn should have looked. It had the real feel of 1950s. Yeah, America. 16 millimeter. The way it's shot and it's all. Just the story of a lesbian love story being illegal at the time. So the whole thing is shot through windows and weirdly framed. And I don't know. So you wrote down what you thought my number one is. Yeah, what, I, got what it, it? I got it wrong because I wrote down The Tribe, uh, which you had in as number five. Yeah. Uh, no, Inherent Vice. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. OK, OK, OK. That is my number one film. It's one of the few films I saw twice this year. I went to see it two times. I was so kind of blown away by it. Got a lot of negativity because people were like, oh, the plot's complicated. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense as a it story. It makes perfect sense as a story. It's not In complicated. that it's not meant to make sense. No, it does make it makes sense. sense. It's perfect sense. It makes. It's just an old-fashioned 1940s crime noir, and you kind of have to have a bit of cop on And when you watch it. Like, it's... Like it's people who said, oh, I was confused by Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction makes perfect sense. And so that kind of annoyed me. People just ragging on it. And it's incredibly funny, really well paced. I'm a bit of a Paul Thomas Anderson geek and Joaquin Phoenix at the moment. Um, We'll just take a wee clip from it here. Okay. Thank you. Whoa, what are you doing here? Yeah. Well, let's see if you're free for dinner. I'm going to freak you out. Are you all right? Am I? Are you? This is the one I was telling you about. Yeah? You know your pals had Mickey Wolfman? What? The FBI? I, I mean, we suspected, but we couldn't prove it. Well, I saw him in their custody. You saw him? Yeah. Would you be willing to let me depone you? Sure would. You would? What is it? Yeah, so there we have Joaquin Phoenix as uh, Larry Doc Sportello. And he's kind of this private eye in the 70s, kind of figuring out the disappearance of an ex-girlfriend. Uh, has a great supporting cast. Josh Brolin is fantastic in it. He's playing this straight man and is hilarious. Yeah, I just loved it. Really, really dug it. So check I, it out. I absolutely it. give it a high... I found it really funny. thought it looked brilliant, the music and everything in it. But I unfortunately am not intelligent enough to have understood the story in the way you did. Um, and I apologise to the world. Um, and I held that against it simply because the script didn't click with me. It did. It's getting it got in in a lot of like the well-regarded, let's say, publications and people's f- end of your list. So um, Paul Thomas Anderson is still a very, very smart man. The girl in it, I was just looking at Catherine Waterston was in Steve Jobs. I was trying to remember as well. She played ah, Steve's fantastic because uh, I wondered when I was watching. Yeah, Steve Jobs. Yeah. I was like, who is that? And then she's in an alien film next year. So that's um, our top tens from the year. Absolutely. Do I ha- do you, there's a few others then. I suppose we probably covered the few others that we nearly made in. Is there any that you found it hard not to, to leave out? Or was the it a struggle to come up with 10 as a year? Whiplash was close coming in there. I know you kind of disregarded Whiplash was in there and Slow West I was going to kind of put yeah, in there. Yeah, so. I would have had Slow West as uh, one of your 10. Mm. Um, it's it's in, in my... I'll, we'll publish them along with this. You can look on the website uh, and we'll have I'll have a list of a few nearly made it as I like to do, you know. Um, I have to admire admire some um, Mick McGovern who contributes to the site. I usually manages to come up with about 50 of his ranking kind of 50. So. I didn't know many of his top 10. He kept naming films. I was like, haven't seen that, haven't seen yeah, that. Haven't yeah. seen but that's that. the best thing. Like the best thing and certainly with our friends of Spool thing is that you end up with all these films going, oh yeah, I need to see that. Yeah, they're good that. recommendations. When people whose opinion and same with like 
journalists and everything, but people whose opinion you respect and you, if you have a lot of things in common and then they name a film up near the top, you're like, I will seek that out. So it gives you plenty to watch because as we know, by the t- a bit of a barren point once the Oscar thing uh, falls off in February, mm. March. So it's always nice to come back to this uh, with the kind of list of stuff. Yeah, so we're going to talk about Star Wars now. So if you haven't seen it, it will contain small spoilers. So happy Christmas. And yeah, a, happy know. Christmas and thank you. We're now entering spoiler. Do we have a klaxon sound, producer Lisa? <laughs> spoilers. Um, yeah, so so I saw this on Thursday night. On the night. You I saw, saw it Saturday, Saturday morning. Saturday, yeah. Um, it's do we need to intro like I, I guess I reviewed it so I should have I felt so daft uh, relaying even the plot was a bit of a spoiler like I said that to a friend I w- went in and I was like I actually don't know the basic plot of this film I know who the actors who are in that, it that was seen as yeah. as a spoiler if you I don't know who the bad guys are who the good guys are I didn't know who Donald Gleeson was playing yeah you but know. isn't that wonderful to have gone in there and like I went in knowing that there'd been a few glowing early reviews but that's kind of nonsense in a way like when a film kicks off of that scale it's always going to start and launch with a bang because everyone's just G'd up on Skittles and Coke at the early screenings there was no bigger, well, there was no wider it. press screenings yeah. in Ireland um, there was a few for some of the shorter deadline people and they saw it on a Tuesday but no one then it was all embargoed until like Wednesday. midnight I woke up to a news alert on, when, on Wednesday morning from the Guardian just saying that they had the review that was worthy of a breaking news review. Here's a review, and you know, and I think it's broken all records already for priests. Like it, it yeah, yeah. Broke, it beat Harry Potter for opening weekends. In the yeah. UK and the question is, can it sustain it, and will it click around um, around the world? So I suppose to the, the short version of the story. Again, if you haven't seen it, you shouldn't be listening because it's better to go in there. It's much better experience to not have a clue who's in this. What's coming up? We we knew some of the actors, as you say, but Luke Skywalker is missing, and for some reason, he's the key to everything. They want to on one side, they want to wipe him out, and on the other side, I didn't really know why the Rebel Alliance and the Republic or whatever needed. What could Luke add to the mix? Well, he's you know? a kick-ass Jedi. Yeah, but one Jedi is that the answer? True, to their... but you find out later on that he was training a whole yeah. things of yeah. Jedi's, and someone turns against him. Yeah, yeah. so it's, but very... it's this First Order, the new First Order, yeah. but they're the bad guys. Yeah, they're the new uh, Empire. Yeah, the new Galactic Empire. So wasn't it strange just as the title crawl comes up and you're there reading it going... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before, when I went to see it, a guy got up just before the green or like the In a Galaxy came up and I, he to go to the toilet and I was like, all right, this is clearly you're, the second time you're seeing yeah, this film. Yeah. Because you have not waited... 30 years for a good Star Wars film to get up yeah. the moment before the yellow scroll comes yeah. up. And even just seeing the words written down, episode 7, it's, it was kind of surreal. Like I, I actually found a lot of watching the film. I'm going again with my sister on Tuesday um, just to get the more, like, bit, she won't have seen it. and um, So just to watch it again. Can't wait to see it again. Yeah. But um, Luke Skywalker is missing. Both sides kind of want him. Um, we have two young... What did you think of the two? Finn, Finn played by John, John Boyega, and then Ray played by Daisy Ridley. Do you buy uh, into I them? I thought they were it? really good. Um, I was saying to Lisa that Daisy Ridley reminded me of Emily Blunt. Yeah. She's very kind of British and yeah. I thought that was great and there was loads of wee nods like the way she was hiding out initially in the scavenging and stuff. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool and very nostalgic. I was initially, the stuff with Finn and the development of his character at the start, I was like, there's a lot of plot holes here, which they kind of fill out as the film goes on and I was a bit like, yeah. hmm, don't know if I'm Well, that this. was it. I mean... I suppose because officially all the books are nonsense and the expanded universe is yeah. nonsense. So like there's no rules for what happened after episode six in the 30 years. So we don't know. 
did someone go back to Camino, make more clones, or yeah. are stormtroopers now? Well, we now and know they're now going to be stormtroopers are now being like basically refugees who are being picked up and yeah. then being told you're going to be a stormtrooper. And is there also going to be fillers now where we have, yeah, um, Adam Driver plays what do you call him? Uh, Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. Is there going to be a prequel about like how he? They turned, can do anything when he's you know. fifteen and you're there. Like I've, I went on the Reddit Star Wars spoiler form. They don't have anything to spoil anymore, so yeah. they don't have any other expanded stuff. But like, to call yeah, it. and like, but they're like trying to work out what age he is, and like, so they say he's twenty nine or thirty, yeah. and that uh, Ray is maybe twenty one or twenty two. But like that, they're not, and like the whole thing is, are they related? What do you think? Who? Well, who? Do you, who? Who's? Who is Ray's? Uh, oh yeah, I, uh, Luke. I presume Luke because but they had do you the think scene. Luke has a, a, a kid then. Yeah, no, I think Luke. The Ray is Luke's daughter because there's she's waiting for her family to come back and she has this flashback to a spaceship going off and being like, no, don't leave when she touches the lightsaber. So he's like, all right, Luke's your father, um, but I don't know who your mother is kind yeah. of thing uh, yeah but he's aware of her but he's aware of her because he can feel her in the force and she has the force inside her so like Luke kind of has to be her father no oh yeah but like I mean even there's an argument that Leia and Han could somehow have been like when she goes I don't think so but when no. she goes back and Leia gives her a hug it's I, almost I, like yeah. does she could she have a different maybe not Han be her dad but maybe yeah maybe um but I, I, know, I thought else. that was weird though that Jar Jar, Jar Jar could be her daddy I Jar Jar like, was a proponent of the force I'm going to stick with that Chewbacca should have given Leia a hug I thought that was crap like Han yeah. you know and Chewbacca didn't give I, I was just like I thought that was crap I know you're trying to build a bond there was like I really really liked the film it was great enjoyment but kind of when you think of it after there were certain things like why is Adam Driver wearing a mask like he's no need for it he just wants to be a Darth Vader it's wannabe a, it's just a tribute yeah. yeah he wants to scare people he doesn't need and it's it. kind of weird when you see him without it because you're like oh there's Adam from Girls and that's the way he even carries on and yeah. stuff he's a bit angsty and a bit Anakin what do you make of Donald Gleeson and Gleason does the job. He was fine. I thought he was he's, a bit he's not up there with Peter Cushing. Like he obviously looked at those villains of the yeah. of the original. And Death the central Star and story of the whole thing really is the Death Star three. Yeah, the Star Killer thing is very very big. Like it's kind of the size of you know Earth or something. Yeah, and it's covered in snow. So is it all a man made construction or have they just no, turned a planet? They've turned into, a planet. I think they've bored into a planet and stuff and turned it in then yeah. to its own thing. And so. producer Lisa was making the point at one point that. They kind of need to get away from the story of a young person's life being shit until a droid come and finds them. Because, like, uh, you had that whole yeah. thing. It was like the new oh, R2-D2 finds Yeah, BB-8. Red. Yeah, well, part of the the issue, I think, if you were to p- pick holes... Now, I gave it four out of five at such a good time and everything. But now, you know, when you're able to reflect on it, it's not the most original. Like, no. he basically went in and said, I want to make the safest, most exhilarating fan film that I can. Yeah. You know, he's he's not breaking the rules no. in terms of, like he didn't come up with he any amazing design things like George Lucas is still at least whatever you think about the original prequels. He at least tried some bonkers things in terms of his like designs and language and aliens with their Jamaican accents. And yeah. and even in the story was completely new, whereas this is basically a new hope part two. Like, like basically, I say there's going to yeah, be when yeah. when the film shows up online and people can do a side by side like there's there's shots that will line up almost completely. Oh, totally. And I like that. I like yeah, that that was, was a nice tribute nod. to it because And he brings this kind loved. of lost flair in dramatic death scenes and stuff like that because like this, yeah. there's a certain scene it's like, that's brilliant. It's done fantastically. Yeah. Um, that was really good. If we can go completely, completely, completely spoilerific, yeah. completely Stop turn listening. off at this yeah. point. So we need to talk about the fact that Harrison Ford's character and Solo is now dead. dead. 
Did you buy it? Did you see it coming, first of all? At some point, I was kind of like, I was figuring, I was like, someone has to die, I figure. And he's the most likely guy who's like, I'm not doing any more of these. In real life, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. end up. And, but then I, I was like, no, he's not going to kill him because it turns out that he is the father of Kylo Ren. Um, and he kills him and I was like oh no he's not going to do it brilliant then they're going to have this new side to the force but like the way the Death planet uh, has its um, power it drains energy from the sun so it goes totally dark and then he just stabs him with the Mm. lightsaber and I was like oh that's pretty good yeah it caught me it was like a punch in the stomach Um, because I suppose yeah if you'd look I think if you'd read scripts or read news and followed everything this might have been an obvious thing Harrison Ford probably didn't want to be buying into this forever but um I just felt that death like oh, it's tough and Chewie's Chewie's scream yeah <laughs> yeah it was a tough one um, and the, the credits are hilarious I was just looking at some stuff on IMDb uh, John Ralphio and uh, Bill and Hader were yeah. BB-8 voice consultants voice consultants <laughs> I didn't see John Ralphio yeah because the actor came up and then I was like who is that and I looked at him on IMDb and I was like oh it's yeah. John Ralphio brilliant uh, Daniel Craig was a stormtrooper. Yeah, he played. You know the when Ray was uh, attached to the chair. Yeah, and there's one stormtrooper behind her, and she's trying to learn. The oh, force brilliant! And she's like that's him. Um, that was his. That was his bit. Yeah, brilliant. Because he was probably doing Bond in Pinewood, and they were like, "Here, do you want to be? Do you want to come in for a day? Yeah." <sighs> Brilliant. Simon Pegg, I think, played the junkyard collector. Is that right? Oh, okay. He yeah, he was in on, it, but I couldn't figure out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was fun. Apparently, and then Andy Circus, sorry, is you know the giant hologram Sn- Snoke, Snooky, Snake. Snoopy. We'll just call him. <laughs> we call him Snooky from Jersey Shore. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that was Andy Circus. Yeah, so that's uh, I saw it with Carol on Thursday night, and she was saying that like he could be tiny, and <laughs> this the Wizard of Oz kind of idea. Yeah, or he's, Men he's in Black, inches, or he's dinosaurs. So the yeah, the whole scale thing is just off the chart. So yeah. um, it's going to be very interesting to see where this we we will have an we'll have episode eight coming in three years, I think now. Um, but we're going to have Star Wars Rogue One next Christmas, oh, which okay. is the the story of the rebels and how they. And got. JJ hasn't signed for any more, has he? No, he's think? he's doing the whole Star Trek thing of just overlooking it. So Rian Johnson, who did Looper and Brick, oh, is yeah. directing Episode Eight, which Brilliant. should be very. I love the very so. literal. Uh, there's a bit when a planet is being destroyed, and we've Kylo Ren on one side and Ren on the other. I was just like, look, you see, they're, they're separated there because they're not on the same side. The yeah, planet, I yeah. Was just like, and wow. our Zachas are related. Uh, yeah. Before the film, uh, to give credit to our mutual friend Ronan Smith, because his theory was that which I then went in and watched a lot of the film with, where uh, Ray and Kylo Ren were brother and sister, both Han and Leia's kids. Like that, did you, when you were seeing it, did you think early on that maybe he, he had could said be that Han's... to me? So I was just like, all oh, right, yeah, oh, yeah. That kind of so makes I sense. watched the whole thing going, ah, it's. Probably Han Solo's son. Yeah. Probably their daughter. Probably. But she I, she has to be Luke's daughter. We'll see. Skellig Michael looked great, didn't it? Ah, uh, absolutely. That was kind of cool. Back I was there. just like, wow. Put a theme park on it. Bring yeah. Disney in all the time. Um, Producer Lisa, anything to add? About Star Wars. Yeah. I liked this one. Yay. Yay. I didn't like really any of the six, as you know. And uh, and obviously everybody was listening to the Star Wars podcast yeah. um, that I was part of and gave two to everything. This was very but funny, this it. one, I thought. Yeah, I liked it. Much better script. I don't know. It worked better, even though, as you were saying, it's just all the same story. So, you know, oh, look at someone. It's just hanging around being lonely and or 2 d 2 Newa comes up and uh, is like, oh, you're going to come with me and help me sort this out. Uh, we have another th- 
thing to destroy in the pretty much the same way as they've destroyed in all the other ones, you know, where they're like, oh, we need to get to the center of it. How There's are we going to do it? There's a force field thingy. Yeah. How do we get rid of this? And blah, blah, blah. But I did overall like have a good experience at it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Out of five, Lisa? I'd give it three more than the other ones. Yeah. I thought we were up in the fours uh, there. That's a lot of positivity. <laughs> uh, three and a half. Three and a half, yeah. And I went four and a half. It'll probably fall down to about four, but still really liked it. Can't wait to see now what they do with episode eight. How oh, did you see it? Did you see it 3D, non-3D? Uh, 2D, Savoy, fourth row. It's great. Oh, wow. I'd like to see you it can 3D. tell we're in the back row. The Savoy's oh, booking right. system is yeah. upside down. They have their map backwards. <laughs> so Brilliant. Yeah, we went 3D IMAX. It was very good. 3D was kind of pointless. Yeah. But the IMAX was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I love the sound. I love the sound of IMAX. I think the screen in IMAX is too big. I can't see all of it at the same time. So that kind of annoys me. But the sound is incredible. Yeah, yeah. So can't wait to see. I'm delighted that it's back and that. Oh, had a small here, Narky Pork. Uh, A father had brought his daughter. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But the child was about four, maybe. Uh, sitting beside me so for the whole thing where's he going who's he what's that daddy the dad clearly this was I don't know now if he was a single dad and this was the only time he had with his daughter and was like look we're going to go see Star Wars I know you don't care whatever and I was just like that was kind of head wrecking so maybe yeah. if they hadn't been there it might have been a four star film it's a fantastic <laughs> we didn't even touch on it but as a for young girls and teenage girls to see at the centre of it a female that this is like it's almost trying too hard to be like a feminist film it passes the Bechdel a, test a, and a little bit but then there's also these comments where it's like what you're the pilot you couldn't possibly be the pilot of the ship you know a, li- a little bit yeah. yeah I guess they play with it a little uh, mm. bit but I mean I'd rather that and you know our three main characters going into the next uh, bit is a black dude a guy from where's Oscar Isaac from uh, Dominican Republic or um, Central America would say and do you think he's going to become a bigger character I'd say, I'd say so yeah mm. and then um, an English girl to me they were kind of no up, white American males yeah, yeah setting him up as the new Han Solo yeah but it's I think it's going to be Finn obviously it seems to be see. it doesn't have to be the new anyone though if they could just yeah, learn yeah. that anyway um, I guess we'll wrap up because we've been here for five hours um uh, we'll wrap up. Thanks very much, for everyone, for listening in uh, 2015. It's been great. Uh, we'll be back in 2016, at the end of 2016, probably. Um, Around the month up of January. And absolutely. Back to back to the usual business, and hopefully I'll have rebuilt the website. By Looking then. forward to the Oscars. Port's, yeah, Port's staring at me like, yeah, rebuild the website, fix yeah, the website. The content all over again. What's the content, uh, you may well ask? Oh my God, in jokes. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, yeah, happy Christmas and a good new year. Yeah, thanks, producer Lisa. Thanks, well. Lisa. Bye-bye.